If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa Von Tobel. And this week, I want you to meet Kathy Hanoon, co-founder and president of Dandelion Energy, the largest residential geothermal company in the United States. Kathy founded Dandelion Energy in 2017 as a spin-out from X, Alphabet's innovation lab. Dandelion is working to take geothermal heat pumps, an energy-saving way of heating and cooling homes, mainstream. The company has raised $65 million to date, and their Series B was just led by Bill Gates' Breakthrough Energy Ventures. Prior to Dandelion Energy, Kathy was a rapid evaluator at X, where she focused on finding moonshots, business opportunities that harness technologies for large-scale positive impact. Kathy has been recognized as a TED Fellow, one of Fast Company's most creative people in business, and one of MIT Technology Review's 35 Under 35. She graduated from Stanford with a BS in civil engineering and an MS in computer science. And with that, let's welcome Kathy. Hi, Kathy. I'm so excited to have you here today for so many reasons. But first, let's just start from the beginning. For those of us who are not familiar with geothermal energy, what is Dandelion Energy in your own words and what made you decide to start it? Dandelion energy replaces furnaces and boilers that are used for heating homes with geothermal heat pumps. These are appliances that can be used to heat or cool a home uh, using renewable energy from the ground called geothermal energy. And I started really getting interested in home heating because for most homeowners, it's really the largest source of greenhouse gas emissions and energy usage, maybe outside of cars, if you own a car, but it's a close second. And I feel like it gets very little attention given the huge impact that heating has on the climate. Your idea for Dandelion Energy sparked out of your work at X. Take us back to 2017. What was that big aha moment for you to take the leap? Because it's one thing to just get very excited and passionate, but it's another thing to decide to give up your day job. What got you comfortable to dive in to doing something that's pretty hard to do, harnessing geothermal energy for residential landscape. What got you comfortable in deciding to go full-time? Well, I'll clarify uh, to start by saying I never was comfortable with this decision, but I did decide to do it. Totally fair point. (laughs) I'm still not comfortable. Totally get it. Exactly. But it's a great question. And I think I'm you know, as a little bit of a reluctant founder to start, you know, now I actually love entrepreneurship and I think I'm sold for the rest of my life on sort of how fun it can be, but I didn't have that vision for myself when I started the company. But the reason I did it anyway was it's just so rare to find an idea that you're personally really interested in, you think could be very meaningful in terms of the impact it could have on the world 
And it just seems like a great business opportunity. I thought, you know, I I was lucky enough at that time to have a job where I specifically looked for that type of idea because I was working as a rapid evaluator at X and our mission as a team was to find new great business ideas for X that could have a good impact. So I spent a lot of time looking at a lot of things that I was hoping could have these qualities, but very few things when you really learn about them meet that high bar. And this really did for me. And so when I faced this choice of, you know, I knew that this idea had the best chance as a startup outside of the alphabet umbrella. So when I faced that fork in the road where it's like, okay, really pursue what seems like an amazing opportunity, but have to leave versus stay. I just really wanted to be the type of person that would leave. And it was like wanting to be that type of person that ended up causing me to do it. I love it. Let's really start with your customer. Who do you serve? And what does that installation process look like? So let's just pretend today I become a customer of Dandelion Energy. What happens? So the way that your experience would work, you would probably sign up on our website. We'd give you a call and we'd learn a little bit about how you're heating and cooling today. So some homeowners are using fuel oil, some are using propane, some use natural gas. And we'd learn a little bit about your home and sort of what the situation was. Then we could put together a proposal for you that showed you, here's how much you're spending on heating and cooling today. And if we were to totally take out your air conditioner, if you have one, your heating system, replace it with a geothermal heat pump in the loop, do the the design, the installation all in, how would that cost compare? And for most homeowners that we serve in the Northeast today who are using fuel oil or propane, it's actually less expensive for them to switch to geothermal. Like they come out ahead if they um, finance the system. So maybe I should explain, we offer two ways of buying the system, similar to rooftop solar. You can choose to buy it up front and then your savings over time will give you a return on that investment. Or you can choose to finance, in which case you wouldn't have to pay us anything to get the system installed. And you'd pay a monthly loan repayment on that system, but that monthly loan repayment in most cases for fuel oil and propane customers is less than just what they're already paying for fuel. So they're coming out ahead. And and that's really the value proposition that's been resonating with a lot of our customers in the Northeast. Historically, installing a geothermal system, which goes underneath your home and literally leverages the earth's core to either cool or heat has been really expensive for people. You have been able to bring accessibility to the market by cutting insulation costs by almost half or more. And obviously that continues to get better. Can you just Mm -hmm. walk through a little bit of how did you solve that problem of making it affordable? Yeah, there's so many different pieces of it, but I'll highlight a few that have been really significant for us. So one is, you know, a really costly part of geothermal, of course, is are those ground loops. You have to install these simple plastic pipes, but they go up to 500 feet deep into the ground. So you, it's not a small project, right? You have to like bring in the right equipment, get them installed, and it can be expensive. But how much it costs is really a function of how much loop you put in the ground. And you you want to put in enough loop that of course you can deliver the amount of heat that the home needs, but you don't want to put in more than you need because then you're just sort of like putting money into the ground for no reason. So one of the things Dandelion does differently is we use science and data to actually calculate for a given location in a given home, 
given the thermal properties of the ground, how conductive it is, what type of rocks are under there, how good are they at exchanging heat, we can more precisely determine how much ground loop your home needs so that we're our quality is high, we're putting enough ground loop in, but we're not overcharging you for those loops. So that's one significant source of savings. Another is we've just really vertically integrated. So in the past, costs have been high because there's a lot of layers in the value chain and a lot of people taking a cut and simply by making the whole experience more customer friendly, bringing it all into one company, we've been able to pass a lot of those savings onto customers. And then the third thing I'd say is we've just really had a huge focus on standardization. So one of the things that makes geothermal expensive in the past is people are pricing in risk. So it's like every home is slightly different. And if you're a small company that installs a few geothermal systems a year, you need to make sure that you don't accidentally spend way too much on one of those systems because something surprised you. So by having the right tools in place where we can basically like weed out the homes that aren't a good fit, that would be way too expensive. We're able to give a really good price to the homes that qualify. Got it. You know, geothermal has been around for a while. However, you brought real innovation to this space to be able to, again, make it affordable, actually bring it to, to customers at mass. Can you walk us through some of the product and tech decisions that you're personally most proud of? Yeah, sure. I think like one thing that we've really become expert in that will I, I feel will be very valuable over time is what you need in a heat pump to serve the retrofit use case. So when I say retrofit, I mean, what features does a heat pump need so that it's well-suited to a home where you're taking, it might be a really old home where you're taking out the heating system and putting in a heat pump. Heat pumps today are not necessarily easy to retrofit into old homes because the ductwork in the old home is too small for them, or the electrical system is undersized for them, or, you know, there's all these legacy issues and there are hundreds of millions of buildings in this country that we will need to electrify. So that's a really serious problem. So some of the product work that I'm focused on today is creating heat pump products that are actually purpose-built for the retrofit case. So they're heat pumps where we've designed the electrical system to be compatible with the undersized old home electrical system. And we've designed the way the heat pump pushes air into the ductwork to work well with old ductwork. I can see to an outsider, it might seem like those are small details, but I really believe they make all the difference because often installing a heat pump isn't expensive because the piece of equipment of the heat pump is expensive. It's because you have to do all this other work to the house in order to make it fit. So that's one way that we're going to really streamline the process and decrease costs that I think will be really important as we retrofit all these old buildings. You obviously have, you know, forward leaning thoughts about the potential for mass rollout. What would you say is your prediction today about when what would be the timeline in your mind for mass consumer adoption of geothermal? And what do you think that looks like in five to 10 years? It's such a hard question. What if you had asked me that about electric vehicles 10 years ago? You know, it's just like 10 years ago, people had generally heard of electric vehicles. You know, some people had them, but they were kind of niche still. 
And today, every major car company has an electric vehicle strategy, and it it feels very inevitable. And I I would so I would say, like, I would imagine something similar will happen with heat pumps today. I think in certain markets they are starting to gain traction in buildings. I hear more and more about friends selecting them, and of course, we've seen like a huge increase in customer interest for our systems in the Northeast. I think in 10 years, it'll be default. It's like for new homes, they'll just come with heat pumps because people won't be installing furnaces and boilers in new homes anymore. And when people need to replace their heating system, they'll upgrade to an electric system. So that's my prediction. I don't know when the tipping point will be though, like when it will go from niche to like all the major players start to really embrace this, but I'm sure it will happen. You have now raised $65 million in capital, including from Bill Gates' breakthrough energy ventures and a bunch of other incredibly impressive investors. Thoughts on fundraising. What advice do you have for other founders looking to raise, especially in a newer category like yours? It's a great question and one that even though now I feel I actually am kind of experienced with fundraising, I still I still feel there's a lot of mystery there, even for me, but I have a few pieces of advice. So Looking back at our earliest days when I was just starting out, totally inexperienced, I think I underappreciated the importance of highlighting the team and just the quality of the people involved. I mean, now it's obvious to me why investors care so strongly about the caliber of the team, but it's like, you know, any new idea is going to be really hard. And I think people who seem capable and, um, able to like put in the incredible effort it will take that is worth more than almost anything else because you know the idea will change over time you just need the people to be able to to see to react quickly to where it needs to change and figure it out so I think thinking of any way that you can provide evidence that the founding team can do it and like has what it takes and is well positioned to take on the challenge is critical and then for us being a relatively weird company, home geothermal, it's been really critical to just have to, I think we've almost treat, we've underplayed the weirdness and just treated it like shown the numbers, right? If you can show the dollars and like the revenue and the bookings and the, the all the things that you would look at in any company, if, if you have the combination of strong numbers and weird thing, it's almost like more attractive, I think, than strong numbers and normal thing, because there's the chance that it will be actually this huge trend and change that you're well positioned to capitalize on. So at the beginning, you don't have the numbers and that's really hard. And so it's a lot just about like, well, do I think this person is credible? But then as soon as we were able to present those numbers, it really helped with the fundraising process. That's amazing. So obviously one of the big wins in your sales right now is that the Biden administration has talked about the importance of renewable energy. How much do you think the regulatory landscape can impact your growth? Oh, so much right now, um, really. And for us in 2017, when the company was founded, it was a weakness because we were like in a political regime that wasn't super friendly to renewables. And there was a lot of question about how that would play out. So we were able to start the business without as much signs for optimism on on the policy front. And now that's, that couldn't have changed more. It's like 180 degree difference in a short amount of time. So 
specifically the way that the policy will really impact us is things like the investment tax credit, which is the tax credit that solar benefits from as well. Geothermal qualifies and it really makes the systems more affordable to customers. And we're just getting started. So I think policies like that are just so helpful to accelerating adoption. But I'm interested to see what happens with infrastructure and the administration's goal to create jobs while cleaning up the energy infrastructure in the country, because what we're doing is certainly very well aligned with that. If we fast forward a decade, what are your biggest predictions that you would make? What are the things that are so obvious to you because you have such a unique approach? The future of clean tech, what are the one or two things that you think are obvious? I do think it's it's very obvious to me that we will heat and cool buildings with heat pumps. It won't just be geothermal. Geothermal will have a place in very cold climates, but air source heat pumps will become super common as well. And they're great for mild climates. I do think hydrogen, I believe that hydrogen has a significant role to play. It's just like there are so many chemicals are an amazing way of storing fuels. Hydrogen is the simplest version of that. But I think that whether it's hydrogen, ammonia, some other, maybe even synthetic natural gas, some other um, molecule, I think that will be, that will play a huge role. And we'll see what happens with storage, but it's hard to even know what lithium ion will be able to do that it can't already do because it's improving and changing so quickly. So I think while I'm optimistic that some of the other long duration players will come out with breakthroughs that will be very meaningful. I also just feel like excited to see where lithium ion is at in even five years. Cause I bet we'll all be surprised by how much progress it's made and just like how cheap it is. Cause that curve looks incredibly aggressively good, which is great news for everyone. That's really exciting. If you were going to make one other prediction, something that's just so obvious to you, that's probably not obvious for everybody else listening, what would it be? Well, I do think that financing is, it's such a big part of clean tech that we, we don't always call it clean tech, but it's like, you look at what the PPA and solar lease did for that industry. I think we'll just pay for energy in a different way in the future. So in my specific, you know, corner of the clean tech market, the way that we pay for something like heating, right? Or energy in the home right now, we just take for granted. It's the utility who we pay our bills to maybe a fuel oil company. But I think that there's room for a lot of private companies to come in and offer subscriptions to heating and cooling, things like that. And I, I wonder how far that model will go throughout clean tech, just like as people innovate in how we finance these technologies that tend to be more expensive up front, but less expensive to operate, we'll probably just end up paying for energy in a very different way. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suites helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise.
Kathy, let's transition to you and how you think about being a CEO and all the things that go into your job. Was it obvious to you that you were always going to be a founder or what were you like as, as a child? <laughs> it definitely wasn't obvious to me that I was going to be a founder. I didn't even know very many founders until probably after college. But what I was like, as, I was super shy as a child. And then I had this turning point in fifth grade where I literally went from this incredibly painfully shy child to this really loud, brash child. And I don't know what triggered I'm that. I'm dying to know what triggered that. I wonder what triggered that, but that happened. I One symbol of it is um, I was in, you know, band in middle school. I literally switched from playing the flute to playing the trumpet during this time, which is a reflection of how my personality changed. That's so fascinating. Um, Well, so you were working at Google X and you were tackling some of the world's biggest challenges um, and thinking how to apply technology to them. What attracted you to that role of essentially being a futurist? Like, was that obvious to you? Was innovation obviously something that you were always attracted to? Or was that a lucky thing that you, you, you happened into and then decided you loved it? Innovation has always been something I've been attracted to. I think I just haven't always had the language for it, but I'm like, my mind just goes all the time to thinking about how to improve things and how would I do this? And how could this system be reimagined to work better? It's like, I, it's hard for me. I have to like get myself not to think that way. And sometimes I really do. I've tried to be like, okay, I just have to appreciate how things are. I can't always be thinking about what I would change, but it is sort of a very fun and natural way for my mind to work. So it's kind of an amazing dream job to be able to do that and be paid for it, especially with such a talented group of people as I had to work with at X. If I think about you becoming a founder, it's clear to me you're really thoughtful, you're really smart, you're very, very disciplined. Were there any big surprises? Was there anything about being a founder that you're like, geez, nobody ever told me this. I didn't expect it. What surprised you? One of the things that surprised me and also really challenged me is sometimes it felt like as a founder, you're just negotiating with everyone all the time. And so as someone who kind of in the past, I would say like preferred not to be in these uh, situations where I had to be, to feel like I was in against people or in oppositional situations on different sides of the negotiating table. Being a founder really stretched me because it's like you're negotiating for funding. You're negotiating with your employees, sometimes managing performance. You're negotiating with suppliers. You're you're just always, you know, needing to be the one to, to, to set the direction and pull everyone along with you. Right. That's so inherent to what the role is. And I think I've become so much more comfortable doing that over four years. And I think it's been really good for me just in life to have that skill set. but I hadn't really thought through how central that would be to the founder role. Fast Company named you as one of the most creative people. How do you nurture creativity? How do you keep feeding that even when you're tired and running this long marathon? Creativity for me is an extension of that quality of always thinking about how could this be done? How could this problem be solved? And it's like a way that I can relax almost to let my mind think that way. And I think one one thing that's really helpful is just to 
to have this mixture of humility where you are open-minded to the possibilities and realize like you don't know the answers and but also a confidence in your own ability to use judgment and sort of like what you know to try to intuit what what see, things seem more likely to be true and what don't. And then based on that process of just learning what you yourself believe to be true, coming up with a different approach than has been tried in the past and sort of like figuring out how to test it. So it's a very, um, yeah, I would say it's a very central part. It's the thing I like the most about what I do, I would say. I love that. Um, another topic that I would be so sad not to touch on, just given how proud I was of things that you've written about before, you wrote an op-ed from your experience of raising lots of capital both times while pregnant and how you didn't feel the need to disclose it in any way, because clearly a guy wouldn't do that. Tell us just a little bit about what compelled you to decide to write about it. I was a little bit on the fence about writing about it, just because I think it is still a very controversial thing to say. I was pregnant. I knew I was pregnant and I basically like concealed it. I mean, didn't disclose it and also didn't wear clothes that would have given me away uh, when I met with investors because I didn't want it to be part of the conversation and didn't believe that it needed to be. And I think because I had, I have this privilege of having raised the money now, it's like I got through it and I'm in this position where I can say something like that. And um, I just have this privilege and freedom to be able to put it out there in a way that I think many people wouldn't be able to. And I think it should be. I I hope that, you know, more people can see that you can be a successful entrepreneur and have babies because a lot of us do this at the time of life where that's going to happen. And I think it does it is an obstacle for a lot of people that is kind of an unnecessary obstacle. I'm so grateful that you put that out into the ether because I uh, sold Learn Best on a Wednesday and had my first daughter, my first child that weekend um, and basically went through my entire acquisition between the months of five months and nine months pregnant and just remember literally thinking to myself, there's not a playbook for this out there. Yeah. And so was very happy to see you um, moving the conversation forward for everybody. Um, Kathy, just last question on you. What are your tips or tricks on staying sane as a founder? Is it exercise, meditation? Is there something you swear by that helps you manage the constant stress and the rigor of everything that we've just discussed? For me, it's probably sleeping enough just because I cannot cope with not getting enough sleep. It's like my brain just evolved so quickly. I think as long as I've had a good night's sleep, every challenge feels more manageable. And that's all you need is like to maintain that emotional, any, it's like anything can happen around you. And as long as you feel that emotional peace, you can be okay. So for me, it's like that sleep piece is critical and then I have to say, um, having friends that are also in similar positions as much as possible has been really helpful because it's always good to know that the thing you're suffering through is not unique and to have others who can be like, oh yeah, when that happened to me or, oh yeah, like when I went through that terrible situation, this is what it looked like. And just compare notes on the mistakes you've made and the the hard things that have happened and um, be real with each other. So it's, it's not all about the, the face that 
you know, founders sometimes put on for the outside world where we try to emphasize the positive, but we can also have that sphere of people we're vulnerable with. Last, just quick questions. I want to go to a quick fire round. I'm going to ask you a question. Just tell me first thing that comes to your mind. The first one is what gets you out of bed in the morning? Getting to work on (laughs) geothermal heating. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What is your favorite book that you come back to time and time again of any category? I've been really enjoying a regular reading of Goodnight Moon, which is actually a great book. And I do come back to it again and again these days. What is your favorite interview question that you really like to ask to get to the core of whether or not you think somebody is the right fit to come to Dandelion? You learn a lot by asking people why they made the decisions that they've made and just hearing how how they think about it. I want you to fast forward two years. How many days a week will we be in an office? Hmm. Hopefully, this is just my hope. I think two to three. What has been your biggest pinch me moment at Dandelion to date? I think being featured on this old house was a pinch me moment for me because we're starting that journey of really bringing this concept into the mainstream. Kathy, first of all, thank you so much for joining us here today. Everybody out there listening, if you want to learn more about Dandelion Energy, if you want to figure out if it should be something you bring to your home, check out dandelionenergy.com. And you can join us next week for Inc. The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. With all my heart, Kathy, thank you for the work that you're doing. We're so rooting for you. And I think the world needs Dandelion to succeed. So thank you so much on behalf of everybody. Thank you so much, Alexa.